The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's Wednesday, September 28th, and it is raining here, and it is raining in Australia, too. So if you hear any rain, um, apologies. I feel you probably shouldn't because I can silence it, but... (laughs) I said when I um, woke up this morning, I was like, oh, gosh, I could hear, like, everything banging because it was so windy. <laughs> but it's calmed down a little bit, so hopefully it stays calm for the next hour or so while we record. Yeah. And I'm recording in a different room because I've been struggling this week. I've been having, like, weird pains, but I'll get into that in a minute. Anyways, I'm in a different room that's more facing, like, the busy road. So people, of course, are outside being rowdy. So I'm sorry if you hear them, too. You know, there's a beeping horn. I don't know if you can hear. <laughs> I did actually hear just that little slight beep. <laughs> little, little meep. Um, but Peep is here. She is pleased because we are in the bedroom. So she is on the bed right now, living her best life, ready to go. Um, but yeah, I've been feeling kind of crappy this week. I don't know what's wrong with me. I went to urgent care on Monday and it was a three hour wait, which was a nightmare not very urgent <laughs> no and that the worst part I don't even mind and I think I have more sympathy because I worked in healthcare for a long time like I was the front desk people or the people on the phones so I always feel bad for them but you were allowed to like leave and come back they kind of like gave you a time to come back at so like I went and got lunch whatever but I was so stressed out in the waiting room for the last like hour because these older people like like boomers <laughs> were coming in and just like being absolute nightmares about the wait, just like verbally assaulting the poor women at the desk to the point where I had to be like, we're all waiting. It sucks. Like stop being, I literally told this one to stop being a nightmare. (laughs) I know the stuff that anytime I've ever been to like the ER or whatever, I know what I think that's our equivalent here. It's crazy. People just whinge and whinge and whinge. We're all there for the same reason. They're doing their best. Yeah. And she was like, the wait at Putnam, whatever is never this long. And I was like, so go, why are you here? Go there. And then she just, like, kept, like, giving me an attitude. I was like, why are you giving me an attitude? I'm just sitting here waiting just like everyone else. And she's like, because you had to make a comment. And I was like, I told you to stop berating the poor older woman at the front desk because it was uncomfortable. But anyways, so I've been having weird pains. I thought it was kidney stone. kidney Not kidney stone because I've had that before. But they did test. Nothing came back. I don't have health insurance, so I can't really do too much unless I want to be in debt for the rest of my life. So I've just been suffering um if anyone has any ideas i just feel like my entire abdomen back torso in general just really hurt hopefully it's just something easy like a nerve or you know something easy that will resolve itself and you don't have to take it any further yeah the guy saw was like oh maybe you hurt your back but i literally did nothing or I would have hurt my back. I was not active at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like sometimes I just sleep weird and I wake up and feel like I'm crippled. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It like almost feels like like bad indigestion or like heartburn kind of, but some of it's in my back and some of it's like lower kind of where you'd get like period cramps. So I don't know. I'm just – I'll have health insurance on Saturday. Still not great health insurance, but I'm trying to like hold off. Gosh, you're nearly there. You nearly made it. But yeah, so – that's what's up with me. What's going on with you? 
So I'm currently away. I think I mentioned last week it's spring break. So last night we drove or I drove a mini bus with three adults and six children, which was fun, for four and a half hours oh, wow. in the pour- in the pouring rain. Um, so now we're away for, I don't know, like five days or something. But the weather is not optimal today. As I said, it's so windy. It's looks like it's picking up again now actually. But anyway, what it is, what it is. The kids will all have fun together. Hopefully we'll get some nice weather. We're going to hopefully go for a big walk on the beach after this, um, you know, <laughs> making the most of it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, I was just thinking about how there's that there's a big hurricane here in Florida. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Hopefully everyone's staying safe in Florida. It seems like that is also getting worse and worse. So very scary times. Some of the videos I've been seeing are crazy. Our star, Brian Enton, who like doesn't seem to really cover true crime anymore. Like he's too good for us. <laughs> he's on the weather now, isn't he? He's down there. <laughs> Yeah, he's down there doing that and he's been doing a lot of political stuff. So like I have my tweet alerts on for him and he'll like will always tweet about the elections and stuff. And I'm like, not what I follow you for, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's not what we're here for. We're not here for that. <laughs> you know, you just good things don't last. <laughs> okay, so also we're having some technical difficulties, probably because of this crazy weather that we were just talking about. So if anything sounds weird or we sound in distress for a minute um it's because we're both like can this can olivia hear me can stephanie hear me because we keep losing each other i feel like sometimes people forget that we're literally in different hemispheres different time zones so mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't go as planned we're doing our best today and we're not we don't video chat either i mean like we could but it's just easier not to because yeah. <laughs> then i don't feel obligated to like not look disgusting um but we can't see each other either so that's why we cut each other off a lot too i feel like when i when we log on to the kind of recording software and it automatically opens up the camera and i'm like oh my gosh i'm so glad we don't have to do this on camera i always i'm like do i look that disgusting because it's like for me it's on my laptop so it's always like lower pointing upwards you know so um, it's like that awkward uh, like when you have your camp front facing camera turned on when you're holding your phone down low and you just like all double chin I'm like Ugh, horrendous it's like when you're looking at yourself when you're at the hairdresser and you're like oh my goodness <laughs> when you're just sitting there in front of a oh mirror my gosh yeah t- to stare at yourself <laughs> and you just look like a dumb turtle <laughs> um all right so let's get the show on the road before like Everything something catastrophic happens yeah. and we can't fucking finish <laughs> So this episode, I don't really know what the theme is. What's the theme? Like missing well, kids who people thought were runaways maybe? Yeah, yeah. I, like we're going to discuss two cases that have different outcomes for now. They may end up having the same outcome, but basically it's about two teenagers who went missing. Everyone assumed they had likely run away, but it turns out that that isn't probably the case. And they're both very mysterious and as of right now, unsolved to and well they're both unsolved yeah one has a little more going on but still unsolved yeah okay so we're gonna start off with alexandra anaya she is a 13 year old who went missing out of hammond indiana it's a crazy case i only heard of it i don't know if something happened recently where it was like making its rounds but i had never really heard of this case before and then i sent it to you and we were talking about a little and then it seemed like people were kind of trying to make some delphi comparisons like a couple of days later so it seems like this case is popping up on social media a little bit more like over the last couple weeks yeah i think so too 
Alex was like my mom. She was always watching us, cooking us food, helping us with our homework. She wrote like all our colors down and our numbers and she stuck them on the walls and we couldn't get into a room unless we spelled it. She was cute. <laughs> she was real cute. She always had a big smile and she had dimples and so like when she would smile, like makes you smile, you know what I mean? She was very loving, loving everybody. Just loved her. She was just real affectionate and, and nice to everybody. Alexandra was last seen by her mom in the early morning hours of August 13, 2005 at her home in Hammond, Indiana. Three days later, a torso was seen floating in the Little Calumet River in Chicago, Illinois by boaters. And she just said, um, unfortunately, you know, it is your daughter, so. I want to know. I want to know what happened to my sister. Why would someone do that to her? So we'll start with some background info. So she was 13 years old when she went missing on August 13, 2005. She lived in the 4,000 block of Pine Avenue in Hammond, Indiana, Indiana, where she lived with her mother, Sandra, and her sisters, Roxanne and Ronnie. And I believe that they were twin sisters, the younger ones. Um, I've seen the one that's named Ronnie. I've seen the name listed as Rami. Yeah, I've seen that Like R-O-M-I. But, but I've um, seen Ronnie more. I feel like I looked up the obituary and it says Ronnie, so I assumed that is what it is. Yeah, that one seems more accurate. Um, and so, and she was a student at Clark Middle School. So an article on Medium.com says that Alex was academically competent, a talented soccer player, and a great lover of animals. So she loved volunteering at the local animal shelter, and she was an aspiring veterinarian since she loved animals so much. Her mother, Sandra, has spoken about how beautiful and sweet she was. She was preparing to go into eighth grade, and she was playing volleyball, soccer, and running cross country. I know she did a little cross country. She used to play soccer. She was really good at soccer, and she was supposed to try out for the basketball team. I think volleyball was her favorite. That was the last one she had did. She loved animals, volunteered at animal shelter. She loved animals. Um, I remember one of the dogs gave birth and there was dogs under the house and brought them home and she would watch them and she would feed them. She said that um, when she grew up, she wanted to be a, a veterinarian. Well, we had a dog and we took him to get shots. And so I guess once she saw her, the way she acted with the dog, she told her, you know what, I'm gonna let you come and you know, you can help out. And the doctor herself let her, you know, go and she would clean the cages and take them out for walks and she loved it. Her mother said she wanted a ferret so bad, which I just like when <laughs> Olivia sent me the notes for this, that is the quote that popped out at me. And I thought that was so cute. You forget like yeah, so how young kind of eighth grade is. So cute and quirky. Like I think, you know, <laughs> for her mother to have that as a memory, it's sweet. Yeah, right. <laughs> like she really wanted a ferret. <laughs> Alex's sister, Roxanne, has spoken to the media about her. She said, she was basically like my mom. I mean, my mom worked two jobs. She was always at work, so Alex would take care of us. She said she would feed us, teach us. She taught us our colors, our ABCs, our numbers. I know we would get on her nerves. She had to take us everywhere she went because my mom was at work. We were her annoying little sisters. On Friday, August 12th, 
Alex ate White Castle with her mom. I think they were actually at White Castle. They were eating there. Then they went home and her mother ended up going out again in the early hours of August 13th. Some sources say this was about 4 a.m. that the mom went back out. And at that point, Alex told her mom that she was going to bed. So I haven't seen anybody really say, I'm sure it's out there somewhere maybe, like why the mom left again. I don't know if it was for work or what. But then she only went out for like an hour and a bit. So I, don't, I, I, I have never seen it either. But it seems like yeah. this wasn't unusual behavior. Like this was, it seemed like this was their pattern really. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the mom was very busy and Alex kind of took care of the younger siblings. So I don't really know what their schedule was like. Um, but so when Sandra, the mom, when she got home around 645, Alex was gone. Um, she usually shared a bedroom with her younger sisters, but her bed was empty. Her mom said, I went inside and she wasn't inside her room. I started getting worried because she would never just leave. Um, Sandra has said that the door was unlocked when she got home, which was very unusual. She remembered that she had locked the door before leaving the house and that Alex was usually very cautious of making sure the door was locked before she went to bed. Sandra initially thought that Alex may have gone to the corner store near their home. She began to walk there to check for Alex, but stopped when she saw Alex's shoes were sitting on the steps outside of their house. So that's a little weird. Mm, Very strange. When Sandra contacted police, they said she believed she'd likely run away. Sandra said that she almost started to believe that herself, although she couldn't think of any reason that Alex would have wanted to leave. In 2018, an interview she did with Case Files Chicago, Sandra said, I don't know why she would run away, but I was like, well, she's a teenager and we've all been there. So Alex's family started their own search for her. Her sister Roxanne said, we were up whole nights just going through the streets looking for her, she told the Daily Beast. The Daily Beast has a good article on this case. So does Medium. So we'll link those in the blog. But this info about the search um, comes from the Daily Beast. They contacted all the teens' friends, went to their houses, and put word out in the neighborhood that they needed to find their big sister. But even then, there seemed to be more or less innocuous explanations for the seventh grader's absence. Maybe she just entered the rebellious phase of adolescence. Maybe she was at her friend's house, and they were hiding her. Her sister Roxanne said, We didn't think anything of it. We were just like, oh, Alex is being bad. Where did she go? We thought she was going to come home. She said, what I remember is just that one day she was here and then one day she wasn't and we were looking for her. My mom was putting posters everywhere, looking everywhere, taking phone calls. So as the hours went on, everyone became more concerned. The Hammond police held a press conference and the then Hammond police chief Brian Miller said, we're concerned. She has a decent relationship with her mom. There's no evidence they were fighting. So the circumstances are unusual. Three days after Alex disappeared, which would make it August 16th, a family was on their boat on their on the little Calumet River, and they spotted what they believed to be a mannequin floating in the water. They called authorities because they were worried about the floating mass being a danger to other boats. When authorities arrived on the scene, they discovered that the mannequin was actually a human torso that was missing its head, legs, and arms. It had been weighed down with straps and and chains in an attempt to avoid discovery. The body had to be identified using DNA, as obviously there would be no fingerprints or dental records available to use. So Sandra gave her DNA to the detectives. Alexandra's aunt, Martha, told NWI Times, she said, My sister said, I don't know why you want it because that's not my daughter. But the aunt saying, I knew because of the location. So the DNA took weeks to come back, but eventually the body was identified as being Alexandra Anaya. I got a phone call and she just said, Unfortunately, you know, it is your daughter. I remember me and Romy were sitting there and I remember my cousin got a call and she was just crying and crying and we didn't know what was going on. I really don't remember 
a lot. I just, I just know that the officer just picked me up off the floor. <laughs> Alex's sister, Roxanne, has said that she immediately knew something was wrong when her cousin, who was babysitting her and her sister, received a phone call and began to cry uncontrollably. Then she said, her mom came home and she just told us that she knows we're little and she knows we're not going to understand, but Alex passed away and she wasn't going to be with us anymore. Police have never been able to find the rest of Alex's remains, unfortunately. Alex's aunt Martha, she said, we don't know what we're going to do. My sister wants to see her face in her long hair. So her family has understandably struggled with not finding all of Alex's remains and they have spoken to the media about that. They said, her hands are somewhere else. Her head is somewhere else. We have her ashes, but we only have certain parts of her body. We're missing her head. We're missing her legs and her arms, Roxanne said in an interview to the Daily Beast, which is so heartbreaking. Like I was just thinking as a mother, I can't even imagine like the heartache of losing your daughter and then to have that extra horror on top of not having the whole of your daughter to bury. It would just be horrible. It's like sickening. Yeah. Especially a teenage. Like, I, you know, it's just, oh, it's horrible. She was only in seventh grade. Yeah. Awful. So following an autopsy, french fries were found undigested in Alex's stomach still. This is part of the meal that she'd eaten at White Castle with her mom on the night of her death. The autopsy also showed that Alex had been sexually assaulted. Retired Hammond Police Lieutenant Ron Johnson said... The real horrifying stuff is what he did to her. I just couldn't believe he was that vicious. At the time, Alex had been wearing a gold religious medallion, and she they never recovered that. So police have theorized that the killer may have held on to that as a type of trophy. They've posted pictures of it kind of on her FBI site and all that. Um, it's kind of hard to tell what it is. It's like a gold necklace. Hmm. It seems it seems unusual to me because if she, well, she was decapitated, like you would think, like I guess it could have been held onto by the killer, but then it also may just have, you know, come Gotten off lost yeah, in the mix. come off the body once this happened to her. So I know I have seen some other one other article I read too said that they were going to test the gold medallion, but I'm pretty sure it's not. They've never found it because it's still on the FBI website as kind of a like it's the FBI poster for this is not very clear. But um, I feel like they, yeah, don't have it. If you if you see the conflicting kind of reports, I'm pretty sure it's still missing. Yeah. I mean, I guess even if it got lost in the mix and someone found it somewhere, mm. it might give a hint to something, like yeah. where she was taken or... Even where the rest of her might be, yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. Um, so Sylvia Van Weitzenberg, she's a retired Chicago police detective, has spoken to the media about the case. Um, she said to the Daily Beast, all that we ever had was her torso. We never found what he cut her up with. I'm sure that was at the bottom of the river, too. At the time, Sandra believed that her ex-partner, Rodolfo Heredia, was involved in Alex's murder. Rodolfo was the biological father of Alex's younger twin sisters, Roxanne and Ronnie. So Sandra said that Rodolfo was abusive and that she left him after Alex said that he'd been sexually assaulting her since she was seven years old. The river where Alex was discovered was just one and a half blocks from Rodolfo's home. Stalking charges against Rodolfo were filed shortly after Alex was murdered. And this info comes from the Daily Beast article again. In a criminal complaint filed with the U.S. District Court in the Northern District of Indiana at the time, prosecutors alleged that Rodolfo had been stalking Sandra Anaya prior to her daughter's murder. Prosecutors know the teen's remains were found a few blocks from his residence in Riverdale, Illinois. 
In a September 2005 interview with Chicago police detectives, Rodolfo admitted to following and watching Sandra Anaya at her home on several occasions, and he admitted to making a copy of the key to enter the residence, according to the complaint. Um, The Medium article on this case states that Rodolfo allegedly used to stand on his car so that he could see into Alex's bedroom and that he was also found actually inside their home. So that's kind of like a lot of screaming red flags to me. He seems like just such a total creep. Such a nuisance. And it's like, it seems like he probably would have been the one to do this. Like if he's stalking them and looking in their windows, has keys to the house, like. This seems like a very personal and kind of hate-filled crime. Like, it's not even just a murder. The whole dismemberment of her, you would think, what could a teenager possibly do to, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just seems like a very unusual thing to happen for it, like for, for a random crime if it was random, which it doesn't seem like it was. And especially it w- might have. I don't know if they were fearful of him. I mean, they probably were to an extent, but maybe he could have like lured her kind of out of the house, like her shoes were on the step or something. Maybe he could have either like tricked her into coming outside or pretended he needed something where like she did know him. I don't know. Hmm. (sighs) Very weird. So more info from the Daily Beast says the complaint listed five calls made from Rodolfo's home telephone number to Sandra Anaya's residence on the night of Alex's disappearance. Also suspect. Sandra Anaya told investigators she had broken up with Rodolfo the past spring after Alexandra told her that he'd been sexually abusing her for years, um, but he was never charged with any sexual crimes. Rodolfo was charged with, quote, travel in interstate commerce for the purpose of killing, injuring, harassing, or intimidating Sandra Anaya, and he pleaded not guilty to the charge. In January 2006, a jury found him not guilty. Alexandra Anaya's murder has not been brought up during the trial, had not been brought up during the trial by either the defense or the prosecution. So in 2016, which would be 11 years after the murder, the FBI and the Chicago Police Department announced that they were creating a task force to take on Alex's case. Um, FBI Special Agent Courtney Corbett said, we're going to bring justice to this case. Another FBI spokesperson said, we continue to seek new information regarding her murder and offer a $10,000 reward for information that may lead to an arrest and conviction. FBI Special Agent Anderson said that Alex's case is one of the most heinous murders involving a child. He has also stated that authorities have reason to believe that there are individuals with information pertinent to this investigation who, for whatever reason, have not come forward. They said, we've we've been reviewing leads and re-interviewing individuals associated with the case. The DNA evidence has been well-preserved and we plan to use enhanced technology to exploit that evidence. We want to bring justice to Alex and other victims like her and their families. If they have DNA from the killer, then I guess they probably would have tested it against Rodolfo, though. Yeah, unless, I don't know. More people I keep going were. back to Delphi where they're like, we have DNA, but then you wonder what, I don't know, what it is. Yeah. I mean, they were able to tell that she was sexually assaulted, so yeah, maybe something. So Lieutenant Ron Johnson is now retired, and he spoke about the case to the media in 2021. He told the Daily Beast, it was definitely the most stressful and painful of my 33 years. The guy's still walking the streets or whatever he's doing now, and I'm, and I'm sure this is not the first time he did it. If he did this kind of vicious crime, it can't be the first time he did it because you don't just do something like that out of the blue, you know? Alex's sister, Roxanne, has spoken about the fear she felt following the murder. She said, I always had this idea that he was going to come back and he was going to do something to us. 
And while she said she got to be more accepting of what happened as she got older, the haunted feeling persisted, especially now that she's back in the shadow of her sister's murder and potentially on the turf of the murderer. Uh, she said, what if one day I just ran into him or I just see him? Would he recognize me? I believe the family moved away, I think, to Chicago or somewhere. And anyway, now that, that, that Roxanne has moved back to Indiana, which is kind of what that is referring to. Yeah. It has to be so scary, too, just like survivor's guilt and just being like, is he going to come back for me, especially when you're so little? I know. I can't even imagine just, yeah, all the extra things that you have to deal with, just as, lo- as well as the loss of, you know, your sister or your daughter. But then it's never been solved, worrying, you know, yeah, exactly. It would be terrifying. And I'm guessing they were, the two sisters must have been sleeping when it happened. I mm. feel like it must be so frustrating because I feel like something like that happened to me. I'd just be like racking my brain of like, did I wake up? Did something wake me up? Did I hear anything? Like, You'd always, you know, go back and try and relive it and see if you can remember the smallest detail just that might help the case. Yeah, or even just like, did I see something weird outside that day? Like, was someone lingering around? Just it must be so hard not having answers. So I mentioned at the start that this case kind of came up again on our radar because people were talking about how it seems possibly similar to the Delphi case. Um so it's the the same state. Um it seems like a really well this Alex's is a very brutal crime. There's always been rumors, like I know there's no cause of death or anything, but it's always been like a persistent rumor that the murder of Libby and Abby was very brutal and awful. And the same with the body kind of the bodies being near a river. Um this was near the little Camulet River and Delphi. A lot of the girls' belongings were found in Deer Creek and it was over on the historic high bridge that goes over the creek. So people are saying maybe it could be the same person. I don't know. And I guess their ages were similar. Um, Yeah. Like, you know, I can see there are parallels, but I also think there's parallels between the Delphi case and a lot of murders. You know, we also don't really actually know much about Delphi, like the murder part, anyways. (laughs) And you can always find parallels, like obviously the age, but if you're looking for teenage deaths or murders, you know what I mean? Like it's, I feel like it's probably not related. This seems to me very personal, very brutal. um, And I don't know, it must have been planned to some extent for it to still be unsolved and for them to have never found the rest of her remains. Whereas Delphi seems a bit more frenzied and unplanned almost Mm -hmm. in terms of how quickly they were found and all that type of um that type of detail on the person with alex i don't know if she went outside or something i feel like no considering her shoes were found right outside on the steps or whatever it seems like she was could have been lured from the house so it's like someone went there potentially looking for her trying to get her out would be my guess yeah i would think so too like, it wasn't like she was just out walking around and someone snatched her, I don't know. But the shoes make me think she didn't leave on purpose. But um, I just had a look and on the FBI website it said that Alex was 5 foot 1 and 125 pounds. So she was, you know, small. She would have been, I guess, easy enough for a man to overpower. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would personally be surprised if Rudolfo isn't involved, but – Maybe he isn't if the FBI have nothing to pin on him. Or I was thinking because the DNA, but like maybe he had a, maybe other people were involved or I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a good guy. So maybe, and maybe that's kind of their appeal where they said, we believe, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but people know when they haven't come forward. Yeah. Um. So, 
Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's such a crazy story. I was surprised I'd never heard of it before until recently. Yeah, me either. I had never heard of it till you sent it to me. Um, and it's, for, yeah, you would think for such a brutal crime that it would be kind of more high profile in the true crime world, but I feel like it's definitely one that's gone under the radar, sadly. Yeah, so hopefully this will get more some more attention to it. Seems like the FBI is doing another push for it, so um, we'll have our blog on it, obviously, with like all the links and information and clips and everything, so yeah sadly there's i was gonna say if you want to learn more about it but there's really not that much because they don't know where she was killed they don't know how she was killed half of her body is still missing like they literally just have her torso basically yeah horrible yeah so the second case we're going to discuss is a british case i feel like we actually don't do very many british cases for some reason but this is one yeah i don't know why but this is one um that i've followed for many years um and it's the case of british teenager andrew gosden andrew was 14 when he went missing in 2007 um one major theory in this case is that he chose to run away and there seemed to be some evidence to support that so we'll get into that but in 2021 which was 14 years after he disappeared two men were charged with suspicion of kidnap and human trafficking in relation to his case so kind of a twist you know it was always a possibility but it was a major twist when something actually happened so long after he disappeared yeah it's crazy a face in the crowd at London's King's Cross station. These the last known images of Andrew Gosden on the day he disappeared in 2007. For his family, the passing years haven't numbed the pain. You kind of feel like, well, I've lost almost everything. And every single day feels like a battle. It is a daily struggle for me every morning just to feel like I want to be alive. Andrew was 14 when he went missing. His dad thought he was setting off to school, not knowing their brief goodbye at the door would become a final farewell. I just said, all right, you're off now. Yes, he said, see you later, yep. And that was the last conversation I ever had with him. Instead of going to school that day, Andrew was seen heading in this direction, down an alleyway, just around the corner from the family home. And it's a path that brings him into the local park. It's thought he waited here alone until he knew that his mum and dad had left for work. Then he went back round to the house and he got changed. He put his school blazer and tie as normal neatly on the back of his chair. He even put his school trousers and shirt into the wash and then he headed to London. This was, is Andrew's room. Um... A child's room, but Andrew would now be 25. No clues as to why he left, if he meant to come back, or if he's even still alive. So Andrew was born Andrew Paul Gosden on July 10, 1993. He lived with his parents, Kevin and Glenis, and his sister Charlotte in Balby, which is a suburb of Doncaster in South Yorkshire in England. Andrew was studying at the time at Macaulay Catholic High School, and his family have described him as quiet, gentle, and extremely intelligent. His father has also kind of interestingly described Andrew as absent-minded, not streetwise, and potentially vulnerable. His father has said that he was a deep character who did not get worked up over things. Um, And Andrew's father has kind of been the voice for the family. You'll see a lot of interviews with him, and he seems to be kind of the main um, advocate for Andrew. Yeah. Andrew took part in the government's 
young, gifted and talented program for high achieving students. He had a 100% attendance record at school and he was also a prize winning mathematician. He had plans after he left high school to attend Cambridge University. He liked reading. His favourite books were The Lord of the Rings and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He enjoyed playing computer games and he also loved music. His favourite bands were Slipknot, Muse and Funeral for a Friend. His family have said that Andrew was a, quote, home bird who never left the house without telling them where he was going. And they've also said that he was happy in his own company and he had a small group of friends at school, but that he didn't kind of seem to socialise much with those people outside of school. Andrew's nickname was Rue and he's said to have been small for his age. There's lots of photos of him online. He is very small, like there's no other way to say it. He's quite short, <laughs> um, like a small, you know, a small teenager. Yeah. He wore strong prescription glasses and he's deaf in his left ear and he also has a distinctive double ridge on his right ear. One interesting thing about Andrew is that one of his favourite TV shows, which I've never heard of, was one called The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. I've never heard of it either. <laughs> yeah, must be a British thing. Is about a man who fakes his own death and starts a new life. Hmm. Mm. So the day that Andrew disappeared was September 14, 2007, which was a Friday. The family were about to sit down for dinner and his parents and Charlotte thought that Andrew was kind of in the cellar of their home on his, you know, playing his games, which was his usual routine and it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. When they called him to come and eat and he didn't come out, they went to check on him. They found his school blazer and his tie hanging over the back of a chair and his shirt and trousers were in the washing machine. They began calling around and they pretty quickly discovered that Andrew had not been to school that day. Charlotte later spoke about it, about the panic that she felt when she discovered that Andrew was missing. She said it was just a complete panic. We initially thought something must have happened on the way to school. When we found out that he hadn't even been to school or even tried to go to school, that was more worrying. The family tried to file a missing person report with with the South Yorkshire Police, and Kevin has said that the police's handling of this case was too slow, too chaotic, and disorganised. There was no real way for them to track Andrew via his phone. He'd owned phones in the past but had apparently lost them. He was given a new phone for his 12th birthday and he ended up losing that one. When his parents offered to replace it, he said that he'd like a new Xbox instead. So Andrew's parents have said that in the days before his disappearance, he did break his usual routine twice. He was only eight days into the new school year when he when he disappeared. So that's kind of interesting that two out of the eight days he kind of varied from his usual routine. He told his parents that he'd walked home from school instead of taking the bus, and this was a four-mile or six-and-a-half-kilometre journey that would have taken him around 80 minutes one way to walk. So that seems like an unusual thing to do. Makes you wonder if he was, like, avoiding someone on the bus because I would do shit like that. Like, if if someone was bothering me on the bus, I'd be like, well, guess I'm going to (laughs) walk. Yeah, I never thought about that. I assumed, like, my thing was maybe he was – doing something along the way I don't know but anyway and that's true too um his father has said that the night before Andrew disappeared was uneventful they did a puzzle together for an hour and then he watched some comedy shows on tv with his mum but Andrew's mother has said that on the day that he disappeared Andrew seemed irritable and that she had trouble getting him moving for the day and she said that was unusual for him So the family learned that at 8.05am on September 14, Andrew left home dressed in his school uniform and he was seen walking across the local park to the bus stop. So he was seen and that like confirmed to be him by a family friend. Andrew's family ended up tracking down CCTV of footage of Andrew walking away from the house that day. Instead of going to school, he deviated from his usual route and routine and he went to a cash machine, which is an ATM, near a local garage, which is a gas station. 
He took out 200 pounds, which was almost all of the money he had. He had 214 pounds in his bank account, but the machine would only dispense 20 pound notes. So he couldn't get it all out. After he got the money, he then walked back home, put his uniform into the wash, and he got changed into black jeans and a slipknot T-shirt. There's some kind of final images of Andrew where you can see him with that slipknot T-shirt at, at a train station, which we'll get into, but it's kind of eerie that, you know, that was the last yeah. time he was seen. He was also wearing trainers, a watch on his left wrist, and he was carrying a black canvas satchel that had rock and metal patches on it. He also took his wallet, his keys, and his PlayStation Portable, but he didn't take the charger for the PSP, and he didn't take a coat or a sweater either. So September in the UK can be quite chilly. Um, it's always can always be quite chilly there, but it seems unusual that he didn't take anything warm. It seems like maybe he planned on coming back if he didn't yeah. bring like the charger yeah well that's what i've yeah we, anyway we can talk about our theories at the end but yeah it's mm. unusual his parents found his passport in the house after he vanished so he didn't take that and they also interestingly found a hundred pounds in cash that he'd saved up so you think if he was planning to leave he probably would have taken all the money he could have but Unless for some reason about it <laughs> yeah so at 8.30 a.m., Andrew can be seen leaving his house again. He walked to Doncaster Railway Station and he purchased a one-way ticket to London, which cost him £31.40. The ticket seller later spoke to police and she said that she told Andrew that a return ticket was only 50 pence more, which is, you know, 50 cents. It's a little bit more, but under a dollar more basically. Mm-hmm. But that he said he only wanted the one-way ticket, which is interesting again. Yeah. At 9.35am, Andrew got on the train to King's Cross Station and he was alone. A woman sat next to him and she later told police that he was quiet and he just played his PlayStation. When Andrew didn't show up at school, the school did try to contact his parents. They left a message on the phone number that they had in their system, but just in kind of a perfect storm of circumstances, they dialed either the number above or below Andrew's in their system and they left Mm. a message for the wrong family. So they didn't know. Like, I just can't even believe the bad luck with that. I know. Andrew arrived in King's Cross at 11.20am and the last known sighting of him was on the CCTV footage that we mentioned earlier, leaving the station at 11.25am. So within three hours of learning about Andrew's disappearance, his family had produced some missing person posters and they looked for him until it got dark. It took police three days to confirm that Andrew had travelled to London. They did this after they spoke with the ticket seller who offered him the return ticket. Andrew's father has said that he didn't think it was weird that Andrew only purchased a one-way ticket as he apparently knew many people in London that he could have stayed with. This seems kind of weird to me. Um, like, yeah. I, I, I don't – like I feel like you have a certain amount of time to use the return ticket. Um, I don't know. That, that just seems like a weird comment to me. But Yeah. Anyway, his family had an early theory that he may have gone to London to, quote, see the sights. He'd been there many times with his family and he enjoyed enjoyed going to museums and exhibitions. He was also apparently very confident in using the public transport in the city and travel on buses was free for children of his age, so he could have kind of got around on the bus without spending any more money. Hmm. It took police three weeks to pick Andrew out of the CCTV at the train station. I've read that they looked and they couldn't find him first and they had to get another agency to look for him and that's when they eventually found him on the footage at King's Cross. It's like he, what he's wearing is kind of distinctive and he is distinctive looking, like a small yeah. teenager. It's not like it's just a random adult rushing to work. It's a child alone. Mm-hmm. It's I can't believe it took them three weeks. <laughs> yeah. 
So Andrew's family and the police started to look into the possibility that Andrew had gone to meet someone who he'd met online. They couldn't really find any evidence of this, apparently. His family have said that he didn't use the computer at home. They only had one computer in the house, and that belonged to his sister, and she'd only had it for eight weeks. And that they said he had no online accounts for his Xbox or his PSP. And they've also said that he didn't have an email address, which, you know, I guess how much can you really know about your child? But they did search computers from Andrew's school and the local library, and they found that there was no trace of any activity by Andrew. They also sent the serial number of the PSP to Sony, and it was found that there was no record of any account being set up from that device or any communication being sent from it. Charlotte, Andrew's sister, said that he just didn't really seem interested in social media or connecting with anyone online as he just, quote, didn't seem social. So Andrew was very into music as evidenced by his band t-shirt that he was wearing and his family looked into concerts that were happening in London at the time that he may have gone to attend. 30 Seconds to Mars were playing at the Brixton Brixton Academy on the night he went missing and sixth, I think it is, I hope I'm saying that right, I'm probably not, but <laughs> my guess. anyway, <laughs> played a show at the Carleen Academy. The Carleen Academy is within walking distance from King's Cross Station. It was randomly apparently meant to be held at 4pm, which seems like a weird time for a gig, but anyway, and was a unique event as it was going to be the last show with the band's original vocalist. So police kind of looked at the theory that they believed Andrew may have gone to one of these shows and they appealed for anyone who had attended them to come forward with any photos that they had just in case Andrew could be seen in the background of any of them. Andrew's father also said that he initially suspected Andrew may have gone to London to do something that he would, quote, seek forgiveness later rather than ask permission. So, you know, it sounds like maybe Andrew thought he wouldn't be allowed to do this, so he just did it anyway and thought he'd deal with the fallout. That was their theory at the time. Yeah. So by the time Andrew had been missing for one year, 122 possible sightings had been recorded. These came from all over Britain. 45 were in London, which isn't surprising because that's where the most amount of people are, and mm. 11 were in Brighton. Kevin has said that there were two or three sightings in the first week of his disappearance that seemed credible. There were some sightings of Andrew at a Pizza Hut and at Covent Garden. Covent Garden is kind of like a very busy, bustling area where they've got markets, restaurants, um, you know, like a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people kind of touristy, you know, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. But the police were very slack to follow up on the leads. The pizza hut was on Oxford street, which is around 2.6 miles or four kilometers and about an hour walk from the train station. The woman who reported the Covent Garden sighting was not interviewed for police by over six weeks. This is interesting. And she told police that she'd spoken to a boy and told him that he looked like Andrew, but the child or the boy denied being him. So that's interesting. Hmm. Um, There were other alleged sightings of Andrew on Oxford Street. One was from Monday, September 17, and he was also apparently sighted the following day uh, sleeping in a park. There were other sightings from as far away as South Wales. In November 2008, a man went to a police station in the West Midlands. I believe they had a kind of an intercom system there because the police station must not have been manned all the time. So you'd go mm-hmm. and if you needed to speak to a police, you know, and they'd connect you to some other police somewhere else. Yeah. The man spoke to an officer via the intercom and said he had information about Andrew. A police officer went to the station to talk to the man, but by the time he got there, he was gone. Police appealed for that man to get back in touch with them. Someone wrote anonymously to the BBC and said that he'd seen Andrew in Shrewsbury in November 2008. So it's not known, though, if that man, the police station man and the author of that is are the same person, but possibly, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, One theory that has been discussed at length is that Andrew may have been possibly gay or struggling with his sexuality. His parents are said to be, quote, committed Anglican Christians, but they hadn't baptized their children because they didn't want to impose any views on them. I guess the theory was that Andrew may have been too embarrassed or felt too awkward to raise the issue of his sexuality if it was an issue. Kevin said, we are a pretty open family, so I've wondered if he was gay or struggling with his sexual identity and found it too awkward to raise. If he is gay, we do not have any issue with it. He is loved unconditionally by both my wife and I and his sister. In 2011, the family paid for a private company to search the River Thames. They used sonar and found another body, but no trace of Andrew was found. So over the years, the Gosdens have tried hard to keep his face in the media and you know they've always been trying to raise awareness for him. In 2017, which was 10 years after he went missing, Andrew was the face of the charity Missing People for their Find Every Child campaign. His face was featured on billboards and ads throughout the country. And to mark the 10-year anniversary in 2017, police made some more appeals. They revealed that they had been looking into the prescription that Andrew had for his glasses and to see if anyone had filed a similar prescription. So that's that's an interesting kind of avenue to explore, which I've never really heard of anything like that happening. Yeah, could help narrow it down. And because essentially he needs glasses, like, you know, yeah. some things you could do without, but it sounds like he couldn't see without his glasses. So That'd be me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they also conducted regular checks to make sure the new passport had not been issued for him. And that kind of implied that they believed he may have still been alive, I guess, if they thought he might be applying for a new passport. They also checked national insurance for any activity, which is kind of like the equivalent of social security over there. In 2018, someone sent info in about a conversation they'd had online with a person named Andy Rue, which is interesting because his nickname, Andrew's nickname nickname was Rue, but I guess Andrew, Andy Rue, it's probably a relatively Ah. common nickname. I didn't even think of that. Uh, (laughs) the person said their boyfriend had left them and they needed money to cover rent. Someone offered to send them the money, but Andy Rue said that they did not have a bank account as they left home when they were 14, which is Hmm. an interesting parallel. But I'm always like, do I believe these people who say these things or or do they just hear the story and want to insert themselves? I never know. Police looked into this, but as far as I've read that the person hasn't been identified, I don't know if that means they weren't identified by the police or just not identified publicly, Mm. but um, nothing seems to have come from that. Um, Andrew's family have said that they have kept his room how they left it and they never changed the locks because Andrew's thought to have taken his keys with him. There was no activity on his bank account since he withdrew the £200 on 14th of September 2007. So there's a photo online of his room. They've got all these books. Like you can see Lord of the Rings and it seems like he liked collecting rocks and like kind minerals. of – minerals. Yeah, so he's got a display cabinet with all that. It's, yeah, very sad and eerie really. Yeah. So on December 8, 2021, there was a huge break in this case. Police arrested two men aged 38 and 45 in regards to Andrew's case. They were arrested on suspicion of kidnapping and human trafficking. The 45-year-old was also arrested on a charge of possession of child pornography. So this means the older man would have been around 31 and the younger man was 24 at the time that Andrew disappeared. At the end of January 2022, police released another update. Both of the men had been released pending further investigation, so I believe they've been released on bond or however the system works over there. They're still under investigation. 
and both of them had devices seized. A police spokesperson said, we can confirm we have seized, we have seized numerous devices from the men, which we expect to take between six and 12 months to analyze. We will provide proactive updates as soon as we have them. So that was January and we're nearly now at October. So we're t- 10 months essentially into this six to 12 months timeframe. So ho- hopefully we hear more soon, probably as soon as this episode comes out as yeah, always. Of course. <laughs> Um, Detective Inspector Andy Knowles said, our priority at this time is supporting Andrew's family while we work through this new line of inquiry in the investigation. We are in close contact with them and and we ask that their privacy is respected as our investigation continues. They've also said, we have made numerous appeals over the years to find out where Andrew is and what happened to him when he disappeared. I would encourage anyone with any information that they have not yet reported to come forward. And after these developments, Kevin Andrew's dad also gave a statement. He said, obviously, some fairly nasty scenarios start to play in your head, but we put that to one side because it's still under investigation and worrying it doesn't get you anywhere. Andrew's friend, Sandy Murray, has also spoken about the case and he said, there's always that kind of little shadow or cloud hanging on your shoulder that this is where he was last seen, obviously talking about London. You see a face and you're like, whoa, hang on, is that him? And then you kind of catch yourself. Just, I found an interesting stat about missing people in England and it says in 2015 to 16, more than 135,000 people were reported missing. 80% of missing persons cases there are resolved within 24 hours and the vast majority of the remaining are resolved within seven days. Only 2% of people go missing for longer than a week. That's insane. Just over 50% of children go missing for less than eight hours, 81% of children for less than 24 hours, and 98% are found within seven days. There are currently 3,000 people in the UK who have been missing for more than 10 years. Hmm. So that is kind of the timeline of Andrew's case. In terms of theories, I actually was speaking to Loz, one of our True Crime Society friends the other day about this because she's followed this case very closely and she made a good point about his phones I wonder if he did actually lose his phones Mm, that's true or if he was trying to keep them separate from his family or from his you know parents for whatever reason because especially now that these men have been arrested he obviously had to come in contact with these men somehow Mm -hmm. I suspect it was probably online um, and it's just in a way that his family don't know about yeah, and, that, and if it was like another phone or something, he probably could have taken it with him. Mm, exactly. Or, like my, I think what likely happened is these men, or one of the men, men or man, lured him to London with the promise of something. Maybe it was maybe it was something to do with his PlayStation, which is why he didn't take the charger. Maybe they'd offered him a new one or um, <clears throat> I don't know, like something along those lines that he probably didn't intend to be gone forever. I feel like something – they lured him there with a promise and then did whatever they did to him. I also had the thought while listening, this could be like totally untrue, just something I thought of that. I wonder if his parents coddled him because it seems like they speak about him like he's very fragile, like he's very small, but he's so smart. And it's like they seem like they don't talk about him, like he's just kind of like a normal teen, you know what I mean? And I wonder if he was kind of sick of being treated as like this fragile small gifted child i mean he listened to slipknot and whatever else which teens see as kind of like rebellious music so i wonder if maybe he was sick of being coddled by his parents in a way or i don't know yeah and yeah like i agree i feel like his his family have just been so adamant like there's no way he could have accessed you know 
the internet. There's no way he could have done this. But even back then, I feel like internet cafes were a thing. He could have gone to, you know, a number of internet cafes. We don't know. Um, I feel like there's surely a way that he was communicating with someone and it went bad, ended ended horribly. Yeah, and even for him to... I feel like he'd have to do some research to like come up with this plan or to even if they thought he went to go see that band to even know that band was playing like yeah he was totally disconnected and for them to say you know he had it sounds like basically they're saying he had no way to access the internet he didn't have a computer according to them he didn't have a phone um but I feel like he has to have had access somehow so I wonder if if these guys really are involved, how they're searching their phones and stuff, I wonder if they'll be able to find a way that they were in contact or anything. And I do also find it interesting that they've charged them with um, human trafficking, but there's no actual death charges yet. Like there's no murder, manslaughter. Yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting that they haven't charged these two men with anything related to his actual death yet. If he, like, I guess the best outcome would be that he is alive and he's been trafficked because then maybe there's a chance of a resolution. Um, If they find him alive, that would be insane. Oh, my gosh. I can't even, like, I know it does happen, just not very often, but... Yeah, that would be a crazy, crazy update. I feel I like it's know very unlikely. All the details. Yeah, I know. I've just had a look. There aren't really any updates. There's a few articles from a few weeks ago just about how his father can't lose hope and there's, you know, a new appeal, but no essentially no updates on the men and their the role that they've played in his case. Will be interesting. Hopefully they come out with the phone information or device information soon. Yeah. I wonder what they could still have all these years later though. Yeah. On their phones, I mean. Like what it might lead them to like accounts that they used or something and then they Mm. could subpoena like those social media platforms or whatever to get like the records, hopefully. At least point them in the right direction. Yeah, that the like I guess things like, you know, for example, if they had a Gmail or a Hotmail account, all that stuff should probably be somewhere, but you just hope that the fifteen years haven't hindered the case. I was just thinking, like, my Gmail, I never delete my emails. I wouldn't read half of them because you get, like, billions and billions. My, my Gmail emails probably go back, like, 10 years, so you could find lots of info oh, no, on me mine... from that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's it for those two cases. Hopefully there's some type of resolution for Alex's family, and hopefully we hear more about Andrew's case soon for his family. Yeah, I'm very curious about both of them. I'd love to find out what happened. Yeah, definitely. All right. So everything with these cases will be on the blog, truecrimesocietyblog.com. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Society, and our personal accounts are TCS Olivia and Steph Sum underscore. We probably post on Instagram like the most frequently. Uh, we also have Facebook, Twitter, all that. So follow us everywhere. If you haven't left us a review on the podcast yet, please do that. Leave us a nice five-star review. It makes us very happy when we read nice reviews. You can leave a rating on Spotify. And as always, please share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever. Just share it. Share it on your Instagram story. It's a big help when you guys do that. And check out um, our sponsors this episode. All the codes and links and everything will be in the show notes. But you can always DM us and ask about them as well. Um, and I guess maybe when this episode comes out, we'll post like a little poll. I'd like to know what other people think, what your theories are on either of these cases. And what you guys think about them definitely um so i guess that's it uh thanks for listening be be nice to each other and look out for each other and peace out